Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! <laughs> Welcome to the Mad Max Minute Podcast, the daily podcast where we break down Mad Max one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 87, which begins with Max pulling back onto the road, and it ends with Max finding some skid marks from a ute that went over the side of a ridge. And once again today, we are joined by Mr. Alex Robinson from the Star Wars Minute. Hello, it's me. (laughs) I say, it is so good to have you back. We, uh, We heard yesterday you had your... 18-wheeler parked out somewhere. Did you find any uh, weird motorcyclists underneath the uh, tires? I found... uh, It was weird. I just found uh, two gigantic prosthetic eyeballs stuck to the bottom (laughs) of the truck. I don't know where they came from. I'm not going to ask any questions. That might be the safe thing. Yeah. Well, you know, it's... left unsolved. It's like they say, sometimes during the year, you know, those prosthetic eyeballs, they call up, crawl up into the wheel wells. So you get in to honk the horn a couple times, they get out of the way, you're good to go. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) I see. Well, they certainly do. (laughs) Anyway, speaking of seeing, we start off this minute catching up with Max after Toe Cutter has just been completely mashed potatoed by this random 18-wheeler that came over a ridge. And Julia noticed yesterday that during this whole horrific crash, Max is really nowhere to be seen. Well, this is where we pick back up with him. And Mm -hmm. it seems that he pulled off onto the side of the road drove past the crash and then kind of found a space to turn around which i will kind of call shenanigans on this one i know that movies are magic and you know sometimes entertainment is just entertainment and we don't need to look at it all that closely but i'm like did a wizard do it (laughs) it feels that way i'm curious what you find incorrect about this yeah my big problem with it is that Max was following Toe Cutter so closely. He was literally right there on his back tire, pretty much all the way leading up to that crash. And we get, like I said, that about two seconds between Toe Cutter noticing the truck cutting between Toe Cutter's eyes and the front of the truck. And then suddenly Toe Cutter is alone in the middle of the road as the truck obliterates him. I just feel like Max just kind of drops out of existence and then pops in up the road. It just seems off to me somehow in this movie about the world going to heck in a handbasket yet somehow there's still being plenty of fuel and all that other junk (laughs) i agree that it is a bit movie magic e i see the reason behind it that's right at that moment we're concerned with with toe cutter and his fate we don't care right now we don't care so much about max so he finds his way to safety. We're, you know, our attention is taken up by Toe Cutter in the semi. So I'm okay with that movie magic. Okay. I can appreciate that because it prioritizes focus for an audience. I think, I think me getting bent out of shape about Max's disappearance and reappearance act is pretty much just me looking a little too closely, maybe. Like we've been looking so close at this movie for the last almost hour and a half. <laughs> and I might just be getting stuck on a setting that's a little too extreme i don't know sounds like you got yourself a case of the uh minute podcaster syndrome (laughs) whereas when you're watching it straight through you would never notice that max uh temporarily disappears but when you're uh 
slowing things down to this uh, it's like physics when you slow things down to this to this speed weird things tend to uh, tend to happen mm-hmm. yeah i definitely never thought of the maximum speed of a kz 1000 anytime i've ever watched this movie before like those are just facts and figures that yeah i looked them up for yesterday's episode but i never thought to think of them before this for sure mm-hmm. so, so i guess he's like just drove did he do we think he drove off the road like just kind of swerved around and then drove back onto the road yeah that's what i think i think he swerved in relation to where the camera was i think he swerved to the opposite side of the trailer and just mm-hmm. kind of cut behind it let the accident and the aftermath go past him and then turned around well, I'm much more impressed by the fact that Max does not even seem to bat an eye. He doesn't, like, do a fist pump that he's destroyed one of his enemies. He's just totally stone-faced about the whole... Uh, he doesn't even seem particularly happy that the guy got run over or anything. Yeah, it seems to be just another a check on his list mm-hmm. of things to do. Yeah. Like, okay, I took care of that one. Now on to the next one. You would think of all of the gang members that he has taken out in the last week or so that toe cutter and uh tomorrow and the days afterward johnny the boy that these two at the top of his list would elicit some sort of additional response from max more than just his really stone-faced you know don't bother me i'm driving expression (laughs) i think it's a mark of his madness Mm mm-hmm we are now dealing with Mad Max. We are no longer dealing with Max Rockatansky. This is now Mad Max that we know and love from all of these other movies. It took us this entire movie to get here, but this is him. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't care. Yeah, and I think that point is excellently illustrated by the fact that as he pulls back onto the road and starts driving back the way he came, he drives right past this poor guy in a striped shirt who's just standing out amongst all this wreckage and it's the truck driver this guy who just was having a normal day going off to make a delivery or to pick up stuff and all of a sudden crash bam boom there's parts strewn everywhere and he's like oh no what am i gonna do my delivery's gonna be late and i pretty much just killed somebody so it's like this poor dude is so traumatized and max just drives on by (laughs) Although by now this truck driver's probably run over a bunch of people in his uh, <laughs> in his career. I mean those long those long those long hauler guys, you know, they're all doped up on uh, speed and <laughs> so on. I think it's I think it's worth noting that Max abandons his responsibility as an MFP officer, which he was willing to take the benefits of it, by which I mean he was using his sirens and his lights in the chase while while he was chasing down Toe Cutter. He was listening to dispatch to get info on whatever is happening out in the world. So he, he was willing to to use the MFP to his advantage when he needed them. But now that he is needed as an MFP officer... He just drives right on by. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even thinking of Toe Cutter at this point. I'm thinking of the poor truck driver. He needs somebody official. Yeah. He needs to make a report to somebody. Yeah. Because because he killed someone. Yeah. At this point, if he gets back in his truck and he drives away, well, congratulations, buddy. You just committed a hit and run and that's a felony offense. And, you know, <laughs> you don't want leather clad MFP officers showing up at your door being like, hey... Hey, about this grease strain that we find found on the highway, you know, right? We've, we've traced it back to you. <laughs> yeah, the furred fringe from the guy's coat is caught in your grill. That seems a little, uh, little suspect there. Yeah, and Ma- and Max is also a witness. Yeah, he's also responsible for staying put and 
giving a testimony. Mm-hmm. Making a statement, if nothing else. Yeah. And it's it's really rough because, you know, trucks have had CB radios for the longest time, but it's like they don't necessarily have police frequencies or frequencies that would be totally useful in the event that a crash has happened. Like, he could be sitting there for hours just calling over the CB radio trying to get someone to answer so that they then can go call emergency services to then get out to him like he his whole day is just ruined yes it is he's not making that delivery i feel so bad because somewhere there's a store and they're not gonna have their truckload full of i don't know 1970s vcrs i don't know what truck drivers carry 40 (laughs) years ago (laughs) well no this this takes place just a few years from now Mm. So yeah, maybe they are VCRs because those are the new hot things that came to Australia before the world went to hell. <laughs> yeah, that's it. There we go. We've solved that issue. Truly, this is his uh, his leaving the scene of a crime is clearly the worst uh, atrocity he commits in this entire movie. Yes. Yeah, my my notes say that Max has gone full antihero at this point specifically. It wasn't mm. it wasn't when he ran the motorcycle guys off the bridge. It wasn't when he shot that one guy in the chest. It wasn't running toe cutter into the front of the truck. No, it's it's this moment where he shirks his duties as a police officer that Max truly goes mad. <laughs> I think it's telling about our state of society that we that the breakdown that we're more concerned about the breakdown of law and order than we are about murder. Well, I'm I'm kind of a big fan of like paperwork and making sure everything is documented and whatnot because it's an integral part of my job. And so when people blatantly disregard their responsibility to keep track of things, I get a little miffed by that. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, dude, you need to report this. This is important. And it's like, nope, revenge, revenge ho as he drives off. Yep. So he drives off back into the prohibited area. Which is technically the last place he saw Johnny the Boy, the last name on his revenge list. Yes, and actually, <laughs> I didn't make this connection until we talked about it off off mic. Um, I thought he was just driving. I thought he was just wandering. It didn't occur to me that he went back to the prohibited area because it was the last place he saw Johnny the Boy and he's going after Johnny the Boy. It, hmm. it did not occur to me. <laughs> That he had, like, a purpose in mind. That he was going somewhere specific. Mm-hmm. Let's say, he's got, essentially, all of Australia to look to find one guy. Who knows he's probably being looked for and doesn't want to be found. I mean, Max is kind of lucky that Johnny the Boy is not the sharpest tool in the shed. Certainly not the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree or the deepest well in the oil field. I'm, I'm saying he's not very bright, is, is what I'm really driving at. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Not to belabor the point. <laughs> well, we don't know how long it is between those shots. Mm-hmm. You know, this could be like two years later that he finally catches up to him and that he just happened to stumble across him. Yeah, we get kind That's of a, a good point. We get kind of a shimmery montage of Max driving and it's really dark and whatnot. Yeah. I, I kind of interpreted that as one night, but I find but it I interesting. But I don't think we have to. It could be a lot more. It could be a lot longer. I like the idea of it being longer. Mm-hmm. It kind of bothered me that he found Johnny the Boy so quick. So I do, I like the idea of it being weeks, months, years later that he comes upon Johnny. Hmm. And I mean, the next time we see Max walking around, he's moving remarkably well, considering that he had his kneecap blown off the day before. Yes. So that would, that would lead us to it being at least weeks. 
Although, we have seen the remarkable and near-superhuman healing ability of Australians in this movie before. Because we had Jim Goose earlier in this movie, where he comes in one day and he's got his entire leg in a cast, and then seemingly later that same week, suddenly he's just down to an ace bandage around his knee. Yeah. You know, it's not just Hugh Jackman that heals quickly, is what we determined. <laughs> that this is just a quality shared by all of them. <laughs> The Australian healthcare system. Yeah. Must be pretty dang good. <laughs> yeah. One thing that really stood out to us as we were watching this driving montage is that there's one moment where there's a quick bit of saxophone that plays <laughs> as part of the soundtrack. And Julie, I don't know if you got the same sense that I did, but I feel like this was kind of a callback or a reference to the fact that Jesse, his wife, played the saxophone like that was her instrument yes absolutely i think i i would have I'm, I'm not great at listening to music and recognizing that it's the same piece of music as another piece of music especially without words but i'm pretty sure that was jesse's theme mm -hmm. it wasn't just a piece of saxophone music i'm pretty sure it was jesse's theme which i really liked i think it told us a lot about max and his state of mind that Mentally, he is taking a break from this revenge mentality that he's been going at full force for a little while now. And he, he takes some time away from that to think of Jesse. Yeah. Plus, he's kind of like drifting off. Like he Yeah, that concerns me. That concerns me a lot. He seems to be falling asleep at the wheel. Yes. I think he's awfully lucky that he didn't cause an accident. I was going to say, during those scenes, I couldn't help but think of the real-life Mel Gibson's trouble with uh, traffic cops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's foreshadowing. I was say, we were actually deprived of a deleted scene in this movie that takes place between these nighttime drives and in the morning when we picked up with the fade to the black-on-black -black driving around a corner during the daytime. So I pulled it off of the Mad Max cutscenes page from MadMaxMovies.com, which has been an amazing resource for us. And so there's a little blurb before the, the breakdown. So it says, Max has been shot in the knee by Bubba, and after killing him, he has also pursued Toe Cutter to his death. The next target is Johnny the Boy. After getting some rest overnight, Max notes that his wound is bleeding badly is attracting flies and basically needs some urgent attention. So Max stops down by the creek bed to tend to his wound and patch himself up. And so it's maybe like a, a moment or two of Max, first and foremost, waking up. So this deleted scene would have established that he actually pulled off to the side of the road and slept. And I think that's probably one of the biggest differences we get between including this scene and excluding this scene. Because when it's excluded and Max doesn't sleep, he is on a revenge-fueled hunt that has no time for rest. Yeah, I kind of assumed that he had not slept at all. Mm. Especially with how sweaty he looks. Yes. Like, dripping with sweat. I mean, yeah, he's wearing vinyl head to toe, which is going to be warm to begin with. But, like, when he's hopped up on adrenaline hunting someone, I'm sure that's just amplified. Yeah. Yeah, they when we first started talking about the MFP uniform, we were trying to determine who was wearing leather and who was wearing vinyl. And it turned out that the only one actually with a leather suit was Steve Bisley's uh, Jim Goose character because he was the one out on the motorcycle. And everybody else, even Max, was just wearing vinyl copies, which, as we know about vinyl, it doesn't breathe. <laughs> right. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't move. It's... Yeah. It's just I uncomfortable. Feel, yeah. 
So I think that definitely adds to the the madness that Max is undergoing, the fact that he's stuck in this stifling and very uncomfortable outfit. It keeps him motivated. Yeah. So in this deleted scene, as I said, Max takes time to rest. And then in the morning, he kind of notes that the wound where his kneecap has been blown off is starting to look bad. Like I said, there's flies, there's gross stuff. And so he takes time to actually go find a spot, clean it up, patch it up, and make sure that the wound is properly dressed before he continues his hunt. And the interesting thing about this deleted scene is that George Miller liked it so much that even though he didn't include it in Mad Max, it's going to make an appearance in the flashback sequence for the Road Warrior. There's going to be a scene of Max sitting next to a creek holding his shotgun, kind of turning towards the camera, and that is cut content that they used for the second movie that they didn't include here. Oh. Yeah. Okay. I like that. It's pretty cool. Well, I mean, when you're when you're filming on such a tight budget, you know, use every part of the el- elephant, as they say. Right. Is that, is it? I don't know use that every that's part an of the expression. Elephant? No. Use every part of the buffalo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elephants, you could totally just eat the trunk and leave the rest in the garbage. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The hyenas have to eat something. So, like I said... Max has gone on this all-night manhunt, not stopping to sleep or do anything. And I say all night, Alex, like you said, it could be it could be longer. And there's definitely a case to be made for that tomorrow when we see Max head-to-toe again. Because as we join in the daylight hours, he's just driving. And as he comes over this hill, he kind of sees this picturesque area stretched before him. And I looked on the locations page for this movie... This area is uh, Gellies Road in Sunbury in Victoria, and the bridge is called uh, Emu Creek Bridge, which is just so delightfully Australian, being named after an emu and whatnot. But it's noted in the cast commentary that this area that they're filming at is rather far removed from the other areas they've filmed at so far in the movie. Just geographically alone, it's so unique compared to the other vistas that we've seen and i for one i like the topography of it the way it's got these rolling hills that kind of cut up the scene and add these little interesting angles that we get to look at yeah like the landscape adds tension Mm -hmm. because he is forced to slow down he's driving quite slow like creeping down this hill maybe maybe more so because he so recently has experienced a semi coming out of nowhere (laughs) so he doesn't want to experience that again yeah you know so he's he's taking his time he's looking around driving cautiously down this hill And there's no visibility at all. But the one thing he does see is that there are a pair of skid marks that go off the road and through what I think is a conveniently precise hole in the guardrail. (laughs) It seems that they just kind of cut a little bit of slice and then bent it and whatnot. It just seems a little too perfect of a spot where a vehicle has gone off the road. And I find it interesting. Max doesn't see much more than this hole in the guardrail until tomorrow 
Yeah. Kinda, it goes he goes a little bit further on, but he seems very interested in this crash. And so I have to wonder what's going through his head. Like is he starting to, you know, maybe let his focus veer from the revenge and maybe like a little bit of that cop mentality sneaking back in? I like that idea that once he once he's a little bit removed from his revenge plot that he kind of goes a little bit back to default. Because mm-hmm. I know personally I go back to default whatever my whenever you know I'm emotional in some way upset or angrier when I'm removed from the situation I just go back to default I just I go back to normal so his normal is being right. concerned <laughs> is being concerned about other people and oh is this something that I should look at yeah I don't know I, I would like to think that a part of him is still Max the MFP officer mm-hmm. but you think there's still some good in him yeah he's still redeemable he just i don't know well see the trouble with max is that there's no one to redeem him right you know oh no his son is gone (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh no he doesn't have a son to believe in him yeah Okay, this movie would have been drastically different if Sprague and Goose had survived because Goose probably would have seen Max going on this murder-filled rampage and spirited Sprague away probably to live with, I don't know, like an aunt and an uncle maybe? Maybe. And then, you know, Goose could keep an eye on Sprague until he grows up and then they could, you know, hatch some sort of cockamamie scheme to redeem Max and pull him back from... You know, this dark place that his life has brought him to. If only. I say. I'm not sure if it would work, though. I, I'm wondering if there are other examples of something like that working out. Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure someone has done a story like that. I don't know. We focus so closely on Australian cinema lately, it's hard to remember there's much else. <laughs> oh, boy. So seeing the <laughs> seeing the tire tracks and the broken guardrails pretty much the end of the minute. Yep. I do I do have something about the guardrail. Okay. Isn't that really not how guardrails are supposed to work? Exactly, because like guardrails when you hit a guardrail, you're not supposed to just snap through it. Mm-hmm. That's that's not its purpose. It's supposed to like stop you. Yeah. It's kinda like you're supposed um... to like get mangled up in it and it disperses the energy and you stop before you go over the edge of this hill yeah i think the whole idea of steel corrugated guardrails is that they deform and kind of wrap around the vehicle as a way of like catching it like when you punch a pillow how the pillow kind of molds around your hand yeah like that kind of thing i don't think they're supposed to shear right off right (laughs) at the connection I'm wondering if that's just an example of apocalyptic road maintenance you know, maybe the the highway patrol. Well, not the well, highway patrol. They are maybe he, the public works department has gone rogue. Well, they're in a prohibited area. That's true. Maybe That's it's prohibited. Why. The, yeah, I mean, the last we knew, they were out in the wilderness in the prohibited area. So there's is no road maintenance. Yeah, you definitely get the sense when you watch this movie that the MFP is their own entity. The public defenders are kind of their own entity that are kind of at odds with each other, and we don't really see any other municipal organizations but at the same time you kind of imagine with the world falling apart and regulations breaking down you could have you know the public works department with all of their garbage trucks and their uh, road painters and post hole diggers like they could have essentially their own little gang that they're putting together and they're extorting people for you know 
pothole filling services. <laughs> that is the saddest gang in the world. Oh, but here in New England, they would be the richest gang. Oh, yeah. I can just imagine we had a... Fat Nancy's. Fat Nancy's was the diner at the beginning of this movie. And I can just imagine someone in like an orange vest and a hard hat walk in and be like, hey, it's a nice driveway you got out there. It'd be awful shame if something happened to it. <laughs> they have all potholes everywhere. I don't know why I'm giving this Australian character a I'm, Jersey accent. But... Thank you for not trying to mix <laughs> Australian and New Jersey. Thank you very much. Oh, I, I have learned my that. lesson about doing Australian accents. Namely, the lesson being don't. Don't. I've been told specifically by listeners, do not attempt don't. an Australian <laughs> accent under any circumstance. I, I am willing to respect that. I will stick to the American ones because those are the ones that I grew up with and I can do passably. Okay. Yeah, you have fun with that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not super confident in my accent work as much as I love doing it. I, I that should not stop you. You're only going to get better if you practice. So exactly, that's Very why I true. keep. That's why I keep telling myself. Okay. So put another shrimp on the Barbie and bust out that Australian accent. <laughs> Any chance you get. Speaking of putting shrimps on Barbies, we are going to get a little bit of that in the coming minutes. So Alex, we're hoping you'll stick around for that. We're going to take a take a whiny little guy and roast him up a bit over the next hey, couple hey, of days. I thought you meant me. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully not. So we hope you'll come back for that. In the meantime, where can people find everything that you do? Uh, my website is comicbookalex.com. Uh, in addition to being a uh, award-winning podcaster, I am a uh, cartoonist and have done several graphic novels. And you can find information about all that stuff over there. Excellent. And if everyone is not tired of me saying this already, they can find our website at madmaxminute.com. Follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute. Like us on Facebook and join our listeners page, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. Thank you for joining us for Mad Max Minute number 87. We'll see you tomorrow. Motorbikes and leather men Take me to the end of the dream Hold on tight, so it's your feeling.